0: Hey, everybody. Ray Lucchese here. Jason Collier here. Welcome to the next episode of the Graybridge on Storage podcast, a show where you get greybeard storage and system bloggers to talk with system vendors and other experts to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Matt Demos, <laughs> CTO of GigaiO. So, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's going on at GigaiO?
1: Sure. Thanks, Ray. Um, So, my name is Matt Dinius. As you said, I'm the CTO running kind of the technical strategy for for, for how the company's going to move forward. Um, We've been doing a lot of really cool, interesting things in the the realm of composability. Uh, You you may have heard of composability in the past from companies like HP and Dell composing uh, drives. I'm sure you guys have talked about that in the past. Um, but we're, we're not only doing uh, kind of storage, we're taking the whole realm of what makes up a system, disaggregating it, recomposing it back together. And now we're even implementing things like uh, composable memory. Um, and a CXL comes out. It's a pretty exciting uh, field for us to be in.
0: Composable memory? Where does that come from? This is a whole different world for me. It's not a DIM anymore, or it is a DIM, but it's on a box someplace out in the world.
1: Yeah. So it's actually a, it's, it's a dim in another box. One, one area that we're seeing a lot of interest in is people saying, I've got these old servers that I could throw away. Those old all servers have a lot of memory in them. Can I go give that memory to a new server? And we're saying, absolutely. Let's go do it.
0: Oh, and that's where CXL fits in.
1: Huh. huh? Actually we're doing it. We're doing it before CXL. Um, we're, we're actually partnering. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're partnering with a, uh, with our friends over at Memberge, and we are implementing a, Capability to allow you to actually compose DRAM um, directly into your system, and then let that your system actually see that DRAM as if it was natively installed prior to CXL.
2: That's. I would like to know more about that uh, uh, memverge relationship. What What are you guys doing with the memverge?
1: Yeah, so um, so that's it's fairly new for us. Uh, to, be, to be clear, right? A lot of the stuff that, that we've been talking about from a memory perspective is we're, we're really looking for a lot of customers that, um, that that are trying to do a lot of this work today. Um, having, having 10, 20 terabytes of memory inside of a server isn't for everybody, um, but it, it's certainly the customers that we're looking for right now. So we've been working with them for the last little, little while getting, um, getting into beta stage. Now, where we actually compose memory into systems. They run their member software, and then from there, they're able to um, go address that memory space and go do all of the, the memory management capabilities that they have. So I can do things from just doing load store of memory into, into remote servers, all the way up to the, the checkpointing and snapshotting capabilities that the memory offers, where I can um, create snapshots, move those snapshots from one server to another. Um, and, and soon enough, we'll be driving to the point where we are allowing multiple servers to share the same memory so they can... Uh, um, so, so they can all access the same big pool simultaneously.
0: Does this use like the PMEM interface kind of thing to talk to storage or talk to, to DIMMs out on this? Uh, it's got to be a PCIe kind of extension, right? Or something like that, right? Yeah, what, yeah. What that, is that's the box you guys got?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, GigIO has natively been a memory fabric from the beginning, meaning that we have a PCIe switch um, and, and PCIe interconnects, but the way it communicates is I have memory in every device out there, right? I have memory in storage, I have memory in GPUs. Um, I have memory in obviously servers, right? So what we do is we allow connections to talk directly from one memory uh, space to another memory space. So if I wanna compose GPUs, it's talking to the GPU's memory. It's not just creating an electrical path, it's talking directly to their memory. And so we're able to go utilize that across that PCI fabric or what we call our memory fabric. And it allows us to go Pull remote pools of pull remote pools of memory from a from a, a distant server, and then allow us to go capture that and utilize it as uh, as memory living on the that that initial uh, initial host. Then we so once we create that connection, that's what GigIO does. We create that connection and allow that system to see the remote memory, and then from there, memverge takes over and says, "Hey, I see the memory, and I'm going to treat it just like I do my normal PM PMM." And, and so memverge does what it normally does. It's just utilizing our remote memory access. It's in
0: the server, but on the back end of that is a real some memory someplace on this uh, memory fabric.
1: Exactly. And, and because, because we're running across PCIe as well, our, our latencies are so low that you don't really see a performance hit. So we're, we're seeing customers that are not going to be able to get to 20, 30 terabytes of, of DRAM on a box. And without having to go buy one of these uh, crazy
0: 30 terabytes of DRAM on a box. What are are we doing with this thing? Is this guy is like Redis gone mad or something, or, you know, I don't know, SAP,
2: whatever, HANA, I I can't, 30 terabytes seems. I
1: I also want to know when you're talking about latency, what kind of latencies are you talking about? Yeah. So we're talking similar latencies to to traditional high high bandwidth memory. So you're talking 300 nanoseconds, right? You're talking HBM stuff. That's... Exactly. I mean, so we're talking that type of latency. So traditional latency you see in HBM's is about 300 nanoseconds, and and we're talking right in that same same realm.
0: I, normally, a DRAM on a on a server or something like that is probably what an order, order of magnitude faster than that. Is that? Um,
1: it, it generally runs about 40 to 50. Yes. Yeah. So so it is faster, and, and we're talking about PCI Gen four. Right. As we as Gen 5 comes out, then we hit we hit less than 100 nanoseconds and then I really don't see a difference between composed and and non-composed. Um, so so we'll be able to offer full scale out composed memory um, where, where it's almost imperceivable um, here in the very new, near very new future with, with PCI Gen 5.
0: And that's before CXL hits.
1: Exactly. So, so we will have a CXL memory appliance, but but even without implementing the CXL functionality, we will have this capability. So, what are the customers and workloads that you're looking at deploying, like that you're
2: deploying today, and then what are you looking at deploying as far as customer workloads when CXL uh, pretty much hits with the with uh, the two dot X spec, and then when the three dot X spec hits. I, I can only imagine uh, that the, the customer
1: workloads grow up significantly, right? That's exactly right. So, so today um, I do I really kind of focus on more at the AI HPC um, type of workloads, and mainly because those are, are workloads that that are seeing where single systems need lots of memory, right? Where I you're also going to see areas like Spark, things like that that we'll, we'll, we'll likely be starting to work with here soon. Um, So large single systems that need lots of memory. Um, Then you're going to see in the near future, you start taking that same concept where I can dynamically apply memory um, and add or move it to a host on demand. And then you get into virtualization environments. And you start saying, well, what if my VMware cluster has 32 nodes in it? And instead of having to put seven or a terabyte of memory in every box, where I'm only actually utilizing about 40% of it, or I chose to only put 500, if I, I could choose to put 500 gigs in the box and I'm using 80, 90%, um, or go up to a terabyte and only using 40%. So, so I'm in that kind of weird spot now with how, how large memory space has to be in each, each box to be uh, to be ideal or optimal. So I'm able to go kind of set them to a much lower memory amount in each node and then have a memory pool available to any node in the cluster. So if a VM starts to run and I get higher than I want to be on on a single node, instead of having to go try to move VMs around to optimize, I can just simply compose memory to it. And it'll automatically just grab memory from a pool.
0: This whole memory Um, stuff is brand new to me. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, composability, GPUs, storage, you know, networking cards, things of that nature. Okay. But
2: Come on, you are a great on storage.
0: I guess. I guess. I guess. But you know, I saw you you do support composability of storage and GPUs and things of that nature, right? I mean, it's not just a memory that, that,
1: that, that is absolutely right. Because as I said before, like every every device has memory. So we talk to them all, right? If I'm going to go compose GPUs, I'm going to write directly to the to the HBM inside that GPU. I can even let GPUs talk to each other um, across the fabric. So I can do things like with DGXs, for example, or um, or OEMs. Yeah, so 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 you have your GPU direct RDMA is what's out there, what everybody kind of knows about today. Um, that's done with uh, InfiniBand or high-speed Ethernet. Um, but when that happens, it has bounce buffers on every single host that it has to go hit in order for those GPUs to talk to each other. And so then that's because the RDMA protocol doesn't allow it to directly talk memory to memory of each of these GPU types. It's got to go translate into, into all these different mem- or memory layer out to the, to the uh, IB layer, communicate over IB, back down again to the memory stack and over the GPU. It, 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 tries, to be, it tries to optimize some of that workload, and, and, it, and it does a decent job, but it's kind of like when you saw GDS, right, or GPU direct storage. When they were able to go take the R out of RDMA, in in GPU direct storage, it made that the claims are five times faster from storage access. So we take the R out of RDMA. When we do GDR or GPU direct RDMA, um, we allow it to be a DMA now. So the same types of things apply because I no longer have to go hit all these bounce buffers. I no longer have to translate all these protocols. I'm talking directly from memory of host one to the memory of GPU and host two. Doesn't have to go through the host at all, bypasses the kernel altogether, and and, and goes directly to the remote GPU. That's so
0: really, really advantageous for an AI kind of environment where you got, you know, you need a gaggle of GPUs just to keep the training and inferencing activities going on, but you never know where you really need them, kind of thing, right?
1: Right, exactly. And then you then you take the value of composability where I can say, I have training going on, but just because training is going on doesn't mean uh, or, or sorry, if I'm not doing training, if I'm doing inferencing, if I'm doing, uh, if I'm preparing my data, those GPUs don't have to be in that box yet. So I can, comp- those GPUs can be codes to a different box while that boat, while this box is preparing data. So I compose disk this to it, let it in- ingest all the data, tag it, label it. And there's no GPUs being used there. They're being used somewhere else. And then when it's time to actually train, let me bring the GPUs to it. And and then they're able to be utilized. So I get maximum efficiency out of all all that, all those GPUs I use. At the same time, I can let those GPUs all talk to each other um, using full DMA capabilities. Yeah. I was going to say, having seen this technology, it is actually,
2: it it is so cool. Um, uh, Especially that whole composability piece. And you know what, Matt, can you describe a little bit about, because there's a significant piece of, you know, hardware. Uh, that you have and basically the interactions with the hardware that you sell. Can you tell us what you sell from, basically, what do you plug into the server, what kind of switches you connect to, and then what kind of devices can you connect into to connect
1: to those GPUs that you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we start off with, as I said, the the memory fabric. um, It's it's kind of core basis is that PCIe switch. So inside the PCI switch, I have a bunch of uh, PCI Gen 4 x 4 ports. I have um, a ComExpress module in the back that actually runs all of our software. Um, and, and from there, I plug any other types of devices I want. So I have an HBA that plugs directly into servers. So those don't really care what the OEM is. Um, just, just plug the HBA in. It connects into that, into that fabric. Then those, those servers can all talk to each other. Anything that lives inside those servers can all talk to each other. So I can talk to the drives that live in the server next to it. I can talk to the GPUs that may live in that server. But if I, if I keep them in the server, they're still kind of locked to that sheet metal. Meaning that if I'm going to go, if I, if I want to go kind of build a new server for, for something unique, a unique workload, I have to still communicate across nodes. And that's fine. That works great. But I also have another option. And that, that other option is going to be using what we call um, our pooling appliances. So some people would call them JBogs or just a bunch of GPUs. We call them accelerator pooling appliances and storage pooling appliances, and and what those are are just chassis that are that are built for uh, power, cooling, and uplink of PCIe devices. So I can put GPUs, FPGAs, vector engines, whatever other types of devices you may want to have, even NICs in there. What is this? What is the size of the power supply on that thing? <laughs> it has more than one. Uh, let's just say that. I, so, uh, I can imagine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> also, but. I do, I do kind of want to rewind just a little bit. Yeah. Um, what is the... So that card that you are sticking in the server that is connecting into your thing, is it basically like a PCI card that is literally just transferring PCI? Uh, into your PCI switch,
1: that that is exactly right. Um, a great, great, great piece to point out. So we don't we don't have uh, offloads. We don't have to translate anything. It is native PCIe. So what that means is, if I am going to compose a device across that that card, it doesn't have to translate to anything. It's just if I plug a if I plug a GPU into our, our APA and that goes through our fabric to the HBA, it's communicating PCIe the entire way. So it, it is literally talking as if it's plugged directly into the server. Another silly IT nerd question. What does
2: that cable look like?
1: <laughs> so uh, the cable is, it comes in two form factors. So, so one is going to be your, your copper cable. And that actually looks just like a SAS cable. So if you're looking, you used to kind of uh, connecting storage arrays and filers, it looks just like a SAS cable. Um, if you um, are going to go longer distances, you're going to use our fiber option. Um, and that's going to look uh, very similar to uh, to an AOC from from Mellanox.
0: Give me, right. me for a second the storage stuff. How does this, how does this play out? And effectively, there's a there's a gaggle of NVMe SSDs sitting in your pooling appliance, and and they can be connected to any of the um, servers that have your HBA card in it. Is that how it plays out?
1: Yeah, we actually have two ways to do it. So so that is one way using our storage pooling appliance. Um, I basically put a bunch of drives into a one, a one U um, pooling appliance, and then I have uplinks from there. Um, and I assign how many drives I want to go to what server, and in basically in a matter of five seconds, those those physical drives are electrically connected to uh, to that remote server, and that server has full DMA capability. That server owns those GP those sorry those drives, um, as if they were plugged directly into the box. That is by far the most performant way to go connect a, a drive. In fact, we we run some tests with uh, with Optane, and we and we use Optane because of the uh, the latency characteristics of Optane. Um, and so we, we we ran some tests with Optane and found that um, we when doing the full composition, I was able to go do full reads and writes onto that Optane composed, adding one more microsecond of latency over if it was just lo- locally installed in yeah. box
0: whoa, whoa, that is nice. But, you know, the problem is it's like a 10 microsecond latency for Optane, so okay, now it's 11, it's not right. It's not great, but it's, it's, it's still pretty damn nice,
2: nice. It, it, yeah. exactly. 11 microseconds in storage is awesome. Right? Oh, yeah, well, of course,
0: <laughs> it, is, it is, it is, no doubt, no doubt.
1: But we've been talking about nanoseconds this whole time, so, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. seems no, so yeah. slow. So, so,
0: bear with me for a second. Now, when you change, let's say from, I have a server that had five of these uh, NVMe SSDs, and I want to now move two of those to another server, what has to happen here? I mean, does it, does it, those A, to the two servers have to be rebooted or can it be done, you know, non disruptively? And, and C, you know, B, you must have some sort of software orchestrating all this stuff, right?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So, if, I mean, that's one of the great things about what NVMeOF really did um, back in the day was give gave you that hot add, hot remove capability. So, and it really actually was more NVMe than NVMeOF. When with the implementation of NVMe into a server, it forced all these kernels to be able to handle hot adds, hot removes in, in a much different way than it used to. Right? If I plugged a PCIe device into a server, what eight years ago that server that server's gone, right? But because NVMe's had to be able to be pulled out and pulled in at the front of a server without that that kernel crashing, um, all those those pieces of code have been put in place now where I can hot add and hot remove devices. So the hot swap the support farm.
0: made this all available for NVMe. SSDs, how does this work for GPUs? I mean, do GPUs, are GPUs hot swappable?
1: Yeah, so so it really depends on the exact OS. Um, some OSs support it, some are a little little quirky, uh, meaning that if I have one, if I have the uh, a PCIe hub composed to it, I can add more GPUs and remove them without an issue. Um, but if I'm kind of adding a whole new set of GPUs to it, I'll have to go restart the system. Um, to, to be honest though, when you're talking about GPUs, you're talking about drivers, right? When you have to talk about those drivers, all those drivers have to be restarted anyway when you add or, or remove a GPU. So the idea of having to restart the server versus restart the service is is not really that that big of an issue. Yeah, yeah.
2: When it, when it, and when it comes down to it, like those those are the components that don't fail that often. Exactly. And and, and like when that, they do, it's why? because you've overstressed them heavily. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you need to look at my crypto mine with the, the Yeah, well, Ray, the Ray,
2: you are excluded from this
1: because oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, do, you
2: do all kinds of silly things you. that you Thank shouldn't you. do. No, doubt. no well, doubt.
1: Well, actually, on that note, you think about it. If you're putting those GPUs inside your server, they're, 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 they're fighting for cooling, right? They're fighting the CPU. They're fighting the memory. They're fighting the disk for, for cold air. And so by putting those those hot devices inside of our our GPU chassis or memory pulling, sorry, accelerated pulling appliances, I'm able to go really increase the life of both my GPUs and my servers because they didn't have they're not fighting and battling for for that that cold air the entire time.
2: Matt, Matt, if you're arguing the point that Ray needs your appliances, like <laughs> I don't think you need to argue that. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like that's, that's a different question. That's yeah, different question. yeah. Ray, Ray know, is going to totally agree with that anyway, one. <laughs> let's, let's,
0: let's go back to uh, customers. How does this play out in an HPC environment and things of that nature? That you know, you would think like these supercomputer environments. Could really benefit from a gaggle of GPUs sitting in, you know, a rack or two that could be allocated to wherever they need to be allocated. In this oh, area. come on,
2: tell us about TAC. Really, that's what, that's what Ray's <laughs> asking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's definitely a huge advantage for for a lot of HPC customers, right? So the idea of being able to be dynamic, um, and, and you'll talk to some some people in the HPC space, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll kind of fight against it because it's not what they're used to. And, and a lot of people are kind of set and set in the way they do things but when you when you look at what hpc is today and how ai is merged with hpc and and the fact that most of these especially larger systems are not built to do one problem they're built to do hundreds of problems and so they expect to have different challenges all the time the idea of having a, a homogeneous compute environment makes no sense because if, if everything has to be the same that means instead of um, it, it, instead of trying to solve a problem the right way, I have to go change my code and make it adjust to the hardware. And, and so I'm not writing the code that I want to write, I'm writing the code that I have to write. Um, and so what we really enable is that ability to, to software define to your hardware. And so a lot of these universities are, are really starting to see this, this capability where I can, I can now say yes to my customers instead of saying, well, um, we could, but you got to change this, this, and this, and we got to go buy something that, that looks like this. In order to go make that happen, um, give give me your wallet and, and and we'll talk to you in nine months, right? And so instead of having to go do that, they're able to say yes, or at most, hey, buy that new card that you want to have. I'll add it to the fabric, and and then I'll say yes. And so we're talking about uh, a couple weeks instead of instead of nine months to a year. Matt, Matt, I got a lot of friends and coworkers I need to introduce you to. Uh,
2: half of them, I think you already know. Yeah,
0: right, 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 right. Talk to me a little bit about the software. You must have so—is so it like an operating console or something like that that you talk to your composability solution, or is it uh, API driven? Um,
1: yes. Yeah, so, so, so we made a conscious effort early on to say, you don't need another GUI. Right, we want to be transparent. And so so what we've done is we've made everything Redfish-based. So I can do all of my composition through the same API that you're already using to go manage your hardware. So since we're moving hardware around and creating hardware connections between devices, it makes sense that Redfish is the API that was chosen. So we actually don't have a GUI in our environment. Um, So today, everything is Redfish API-driven. And we've actually integrated with a bunch of, of partners and when I say integrated, we didn't we didn't build a plugin. They actually came to us and asked to go integrate our capabilities into their software because they saw the value it would be to their end customers. So these, yeah. So 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 Bright, for example, Bright Cluster Manager is uh, has integrated GIGIO. Um, obviously, you you saw some some big news of those guys uh, this week. And um, so Bright, you have um, some Slurm through a couple of different partners. They've done some Slurm integrations. Being that's an open source product, it's something that, that people can, can do. And a few of our partners have actually integrated us into Slurm. Um, we, we also have a company called Control IQ. You, you may have heard of them, uh, Greg Kurtzer's new company. They are building a product called Fuzzball. And Fuzzball is already uh, certifying or it's implementing us in their 1.0 release set to come out here shortly. And that's actually going to be a cloud-native HPC uh, 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 toolkit. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's good tech. It's,
2: it's the, it's fun to see like innovations and basically innovators spurning other innovators to innovate. So a lot of usage of the word innovate, right. but, <laughs> but, but startups. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> it's like, like innovation. It's like, Oh, it's like, I get so excited about this stuff. When I see, when I see startups, startups, like fueling startups, that's that that is the, the, the number one thing that basically a, uh, a, you know, a founder can be proud of.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, all right. Let me get back to the scheme here. Uh, so, how does something like this work with Red Hat or, or VMware or Nutanix, those kinds of guys? I mean, where how does that play out in that space?
1: Yeah. So, so that is uh, some of that is in the works right now. Um, there's we, we've done some testing with with VMware, for example, and, and we have beta code with with uh, ESX, ESX, ESX ESX that allows us to go compose. And so we can compose, and actually in ESX we can do it without any reboot at all when adding GPUs and, and, and devices into ESXi. So that's super exciting. We're waiting to see what, what comes further from that relationship. Um, then you have things like things like Red Hat. Um, we've are we we've been in, in talks um, today. The, the easiest way to go implement that is actually through Supermicro's integrated a, a product called SuperCloud Composer. Um, they're kind of getting in that software business now which is which is nice to see and and their first release at it is their kind of platform management software and they've integrated guy on that as well so you can ran, manage your whole rack rack to data center um, worth of systems and that's super microsystems Dell systems HP systems it kind of manages them all but he can but you can actually compose your devices across those systems using that, that tool set as well
0: so from an ESX perspective, what you're doing is you're, you're actually messing with the ESX's hardware in real time, which is not something you typically see. Um, so you're gonna provide, you're, you and VMware are providing uh, a capability to, to make this sort of thing happen with GPUs and, and uh, NVMe SSDs, I guess, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you see VMware has been pretty excited about trying to get this composability aspect to work, right? They've, they've made acquisitions to go, to go do that. Um, and, and obviously we're still, we're still in early stages with those guys and, and we have it working. We, we can actually go work with some customers and show them how to use it. Um, still waiting to see kind of what those next steps look like with VMware. Pretty, pretty excited about what that'll do, um, for the enterprise market.
0: Yeah. And, but none of these guys really deal with the memory size of things. So when you start talking about being able to expand, uh, an ESX solution from, a uh, 512 gig to a terabyte or two in real time—it's—it's uh, it's a different world, I would think.
1: It, it is, and and these are these are conversations that are that are likely to be being had soon. Um, so I, I can't really talk too much on uh, kind of what that looks like today, because I'll be honest, it, it doesn't look like anything yet today. But um, but it, I have a feeling it will be soon.
0: I'm thinking SAP HANA and, and Redis and all these guys are driving bigger and bigger servers anymore and and having the ability to do something like this would be something VMware and those guys would want truthfully you know? yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And, and, and not only that, I think it's more about just traditional data center flexibility, right they we, we've been told that that composability is the VMware of of I mean is the VMware of today, right that that ability to be as flexible as you need to be, to meet your customers' demands, that's what that's what VMware was founded to do, right? Take that server and and let you say yes all the time because I was able to take something big and make it in you know, all these small things and be very flexible. That's what they That's what the purpose of virtualization is, and, and we're gonna kind of help hopefully take that to the next level. And I I think I think
2: you're well positioned in taking it pretty much to the next level. Um, and one of the things that i've always looked at as one of those components of like where does virt- where do virtual machines go uh to to come to the next level uh and i think when you can create a virtual machine that's bigger than the physical constructs of what that virtual machine is boy <laughs> yeah yep dude so when you <laughs> When you create a virtual machine, so you you got a machine with a terabyte of RAM, but you can create a virtual machine with two terabytes of memory. That's something special, and that's where CXL is going to come in. That's where everything that you guys are doing uh, at GigIO, where that's going to be, that's that that's going to push computing forward. I-
1: Totally agree. And the way I see it right now with CXL is VMware, with the first generation of CXL, won't be able to do anything with it, right, from from that perspective. Um, they, won't, they won't be able to go share anything across servers. Now, with that said, Gig.io can, and we actually have designs to go do that. So we will be having CXL-enabled sharing, even in Gen PCI Gen 5 with CXL 1.1 support inside the servers. We've figured out how to do that. So so CXL will be coming um in a shared uh arena here right along with the PCI Gen 5 servers as they as they come out.
0: Hey Matt, besides the, uh, the CXL standards and stuff like that, there are other you know standards organizations in the composability space. Do you guys play in that environment as well or
1: yeah, so so obviously we've been on the CXL consortium since the beginning. Um and we are Um, it's really kind of more focused on the OCP piece is really where more of the composability is, is, is really kind of driving into. And so the, so, so Redfish has been a big part of it. That's why everything's also been really focused on Redfish, but you're going to see a lot more from us here um, working with OCP um, and the composable aspects of it.
0: So what's a, what's a, well, let's talk big things like what's the biggest uh, memory uh, memory pooling appliance that you guys support at this point and and uh, and how many servers is it uh, is it potentially distributed over
1: well well that's the thing is uh it really it, it's kind of whatever your imagination came up with i mean there there are I can limits imagine
0: a pretty big world here <laughs> there, there,
1: there are limits but but I I can make the so basically I can create as many memory or I can create a, a certain amount of memory windows that I can go mount memory to for that server. Um, it, it gets kind of technical. Um, I, I can create so many of them based on the BIOS of that server. But how much memory I put into each of those windows is configurable. So if I have servers that each have a terabyte of memory in my in my memory pooling like a virtual
0: page space. So you got a physical page space that you're managing on the, on the server itself, and, but the virtual page space behind it used to be on storage. Now it's sitting on a memory device off a PCIe fabric. Is that what you're telling me?
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And then you use Memverge and their technology to literally keep it hot and cold dynamically.
0: Hot and cold memory?
1: Yep, oh yeah. Um, so, so, well, it's more the memory pages, right? So I'm, I'm bringing, it, bringing the, the warmer pages up uh, whenever, they're, whenever they're needed and i'm dynamically trying to keep everything in the fastest memory but but i'm storing it in i mean when it's not in the fastest memory it's still in really fast memory it's not it didn't have to go go pull down to, to microseconds it's still well within the nanosecond range
2: so ray how how gray is that beard feeling in storage now
0: <laughs> tell me about it you know i just, I'm well, just saying. Know, I've, been, I've been doing virtual memory for about you know four decades here but, uh, right you know i was talking like 16 gig <laughs> <laughs> right, or something. that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. No, this is a different world. So, so the the, the Memverge thing. So it actually plugs in as sort of like a. Uh, it has PMEM sitting on the server, and and then how is it? How is that connected to the fabric? I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to understand. So the PMEM seemed like there was in the past it was just a it was PMEM Memverge was just a, a couple of PMEMs and DRAM. And it would it would carve it up for you internally in the server, but there was no external version of that in the old days.
1: That, that's exactly right. And um, so so today they still offer that capability, right? PMEM is just a tier of of storage, and remote memory is going to be another tier of that storage. So so basically, if, if I have PMEM on the system, and to be honest, the latency between PMEM and remote memory is is pretty similar. We're just we're just faster on the on the back side of it. And 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 gives you the option to. I could even compose PMEM to remotely across the that PCI fabric if I wanted to. So you can choose DRAM or PMEM as that remote memory. Hey, so Matt,
2: with that, what is that latency? Uh,
1: what's the latency differential from from PMEM versus composed DRAM? It's uh, it's actually pretty similar. So they're they're both run right around three hundred nanoseconds.
0: I keep thinking there should be a, a plug to the D with a with a PCI bus floating back behind it or something like that. Is that how this works? I am just trying to understand how the how the fab- so it's all logical, it's all PCI. It's it's there's no real plug-in other than
1: It's all HPA
2: PCI. The server, right? <laughs> That's it's like, beauty
1: that of <laughs> the beauty of the of <laughs> the architecture. The live PCI. in the dim slots in the server and they all talk over PCI
0: and and it's a Memverge software that makes that happen as well as your composability software. Point, yeah. I mean, we provide
1: the transport. We actually create the connectivity and, and from Memverge's perspective, it sees the memory we connect just the same as if it sees the PMEM living on, on, on its own server. And so it just access it and create, and it says, Hey, all right, I'm going to create, make you a different tier than the PMEM living on me. And then if I were to compose more, more memory, from either a farther away server or from PMEM on another server, it would make that a different tier, and, and with its own characteristics, um, and then it'll kind of page according to the performance characteristics of the memory that's on that system.
0: Right, right. So you guys have tightly integrated this solution with with Memverge.
2: It appears
1: it, it is is getting tighter by the day.
2: <laughs> I was I was I was getting ready to go there, Ray. I'm just like you guys keep saying Memverge a lot. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's a it's a it's a, a total solution here.
2: All right, so yeah, it's it is a total solution. I mean, it's a fantastic solution. Um, what uh, so what is to come of of your organization and members? Oh, I, I
1: would not comment on that one. <laughs> not not going there. So tell me about
0: all right. So back to the back to the talk here. So how does this thing sold? Do you sell through partners only? Are you direct sales?
1: Yeah. So so um we are a partner only uh, organization. So we do have a direct sales team, but that direct sales team still will only work with partners.
0: So what are some of your bigger partners then, I guess?
1: Yeah, so, so from a, a, a channel perspective, for, from a federal perspective, we have uh, federal integrators from uh, CTG Federal to Cambridge Computing um, to uh, ID Technologies. And then we have um, uh, ICC um, from, from more of the commercial side. We have uh, advanced data systems uh, that we just did some stuff with, uh, um, with SDSC with, or San Diego Supercomputer Center with. Um, so it's an ever-growing list. Uh, our distribution right now we're going through through Arrow, um, and we're, we are trying to keep it fairly small. And our partners are always going to be those those partners that that value technology first and want to kind of drive the yeah. the latest and greatest and, and the new cool stuff. Right, I, I'm not looking for a partner that's looking to just make a phone call, say, "Hey, you need a server? Here you go. Uh, I, I can go to a server."
2: But Arrow is a great disty, by the way. I was just like, those guys are awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love them. So,
0: so, I mean, it seems like this is, uh, it's almost targeted primarily at HPC, but there's a, there's a commercial side of this as well. Right. I mean.
1: Oh, oh absolutely. So you have HPC, you also have the AI side of that. Right. And so, so it, it's definitely merging together. Um, and as the memory piece, uh, comes, uh, comes out farther, you're going to see a lot more things like, uh, um, uh, traditional deep databases, uh, in-memory databases that are going to be more in focus, and then you'll also um, you're going to see some more of the this DevOps stuff that that I'm, I'm really excited about. Right, that ability to go compose devices to a container as, as they spawn is is, is really cool. Well,
0: you didn't say anything about using Kubernetes and all this stuff. So Kubernetes, wait a minute. So I can I can I can change the pod configuration on the fly to run the containers.
1: Well, today we do that through Bright, right? So Bright controls all of that for us, and so so all of that works well there. Um, but but it, it, honestly, it's all API driven, so it can be scripted also. Um, so, but yeah, we as you create a new container, I can go compose memory your compose devices for that container. Allow you to go uh, um, say those devices are only for for that specific container and, and go um, and and literally let you change 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 your code sets immediately. Um, it's it, it is the right way to go if you're trying to be a a true uh, devops uh, very flexible environment it, ultimately we will be a your cloud right that that is our goal is to give you all the cloud flexibility without having the price that comes with it
2: that's okay so great segue um, so from a cloud perspective um what uh so when you're talking about the mega data centers uh, out there, out there in in the world, if I wanted to basically take a look at your technology, what clouds could I go to?
1: Um, I would say uh, I, I can't. Not disclosed. Uh, yeah, I can't. <laughs> disclose that yet. So, um, all right, fair I, enough. I, fair enough. They they, um, they have very strong NDAs.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I, trust me, I know.
1: <laughs>
0: Okay, Matt, you mentioned the money word. How much does something like this cost? And how is it how is it charged for? Is it charged for, I mean, obviously there's there's storage and there's GPUs and there's memory and all that's charged, whatever it's charged at. But, uh, and then there's this rack device that you actually are supporting. And then it's obviously your own um, PCIe switch and, and uh, controller, right? Or something, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So it, it's all relatively inexpensive. Uh, obviously, of course, I'm, I'm going to say that. Um, but, uh, but basically what we found is because you gain so much utilization of all your devices, um, you, you go from having 30% GPU utilization to 70%, right? We generally end up actually selling less hardware overall. Um, what, in a lot of times it's actually servers that we sell less of because, um, you're able to go reconfigure your hardware to, to match, match your, your unique needs. And you end up spending a lot less in a composed solution. And, and the amount of jobs you can run uh, it actually significantly increases. So it, it's it's hard to say what it costs because generally, like I said, you'll, you'll end up reconfiguring your design to have less of this, less of this, um, and to go meet the same job requirements. Do you
2: have any examples of that um, that you can provide? AKA uh, any like kind of, I'm uh, like, Total cost of ownership kind of documents well, that like you get.
0: My my crypto mine has got like six GPUs per server, and and you know I've got like one or two of one, with one with one GPU, one or two with four, you know things like that. I kind of like to put them all across all the servers.
1: Right, right, exactly. So so all, all those things are are possible from a TCO perspective. Um, we do have a TCO calculator that that we could uh, that we could show, and it literally uh, what, what I love about it is we actually show a, a plot map of a whole bunch of jobs being done with certain certain sizes for each of those jobs and show you what it would look like if you create with a certain static architecture and what that looks composed as far as those jobs completing. Um, you using a couple uh, definable characteristics for those jobs. And you'll literally see um, you can then pull back certain sets of hardware and go, I'm still doing more jobs, still doing more jobs. All right, now we're finally breaking even. And you're seeing how much less hardware you can do that, which is of course power significant power savings um, to, to boot, not to mention just hardware cost. I've I've got a lot of friends in HPC
2: that um, will
1: love that, right? Um,
2: only because they they have been through that. They've uh, they they went through the procurement cycle of oh, we have to put GPUs in every every node. Uh, that we're deploying in this supercompute compute platform that we're putting out there. Um, however, the people that are developing the algorithms are not developing the algorithms for GPU. Uh, so there, there, there is this giant lag of, of where that stuff is actually used. And, and being able to compose that infrastructure like which is exactly what you guys are doing um, being able to compose that infrastructure into um, determining what assets you have available and and how you allocate those that that's the that is the gold mine of this now now this has been tried many times composable infrastructure you know my first, my first was like toe stepping into the water of composable infrastructure was with the SGI Origin 3000. Mm-hmm. That was a great system. Yep.
0: That's why you have a gray beard.
2: Yeah. That's <laughs> why I have a gray beard. <laughs> that, that's why I'm on gray beards on storage. I remember that thing. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was a great system. Um, but you know, but honestly, what it did, I mean, guess what it was? a PCI switch, it, which it wasn't PCI at the time, it was SGIs, the proprietary stuff at the time, but it's exactly the same thing that you're offering now.
1: How, how is what you're offering now different? Well, I mean, even Intel tried it, right? So Intel had a, a, a tried doing the same thing, but what they were doing it on was PCI Gen 2. And, and the challenge was latencies just could not keep up with what was actually required. Right. So you, you're talking about almost microsecond latencies at the, the time and, and composing resources over that type of distance with that type of latency just caused too many errors in, in the hardware. Um, not to mention, um, we've now implemented non-transparent bridging. So that NTB is how we are able to go talk memory to memory. And, and a lot of the, the kernels for operating systems haven't really enabled that until fairly recently. So, a, a lot of that uh, communication path using NTB is, is, is fairly new. Um, so, so a, a lot of the stuff is, is really wasn't an option, wasn't truly an option to do it the way we did it. They tried, um, but they ended up finding scenarios where when they composed, um, they were not able to have GPUs talk to each other, for example. Um, like Dell had this, uh, um, this C410X GPU chassis. And everybody loved it. I I, I was actually working at Dell at the time and it was a really cool looking box. I thought it was going to, going to do really well, but what they found was because they couldn't have those GPUs talk to each other, it, it just fell apart and, and it just died in the vine. So, so a lot of hype, a lot of people really excited about it, but it's just some of those core technology features just weren't there yet. And we're finally at a spot that, that we can get there. And then with CXL really down the pipe, people are starting to. I uh, already having to have a vision of this in their head of what this could look like, and and so so we're we're just kind of making that vision come to reality. I completely agree with
2: <laughs> so, so so I completely agree with everything you're saying, and I I, I really would love to see this uh, push forward. I cannot wait to see what the next generation of this technology is going to look like.
0: So, Jason, any last questions for Matt before we leave? No. Matt, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close?
1: Uh, you know, Ray, I, I said a lot. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble after, uh, after I get off of this thing. But, uh, but you know, um, <laughs> it, it was worth it. I really enjoyed the time. And uh, I, I look forward to doing this again sometime.
0: All right. Well, Matt, this has been great. Thanks for being on our show today. That, All right. Thank you.
2: And that's it for now. Bye, Jason.
1: Bye now. Hey, Matt, Matt,
2: thanks. Awesome, awesome, awesome conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks, you guys. It was a lot of fun.
2: Until next time.
0: Next time, we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out.